so we're on the hadith of Abu Hurairah. عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يأتي الشيطان أحدكم فيقول من خلق كذا من خلق كذا حتى يقول من خلق الله فإذا بلغه فليستعذ بالله ولينتهي وفي لفظ فليقل آمنت بالله ورسوله متفق عليه وفي لفظ لا يزال الناس يتساءلون حتى يقولون من خلق الله In this hadith it talks about the topic of the whisperings of the shaytan. This particular hadith it talks about the topic of the whisperings of the shaytan. So no doubt we know that the shaytan whispers to the people, whispers to them with doubts and with desires in order to misguide the people. So in this narration of Abu Hurairah, radiallahu anhu, he says, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that the shaitan comes to one of you. The shaitan comes to one of you and says, Man khalaqa katha? Who created such and such? Who created such and such? So you start thinking about this. Who created such and such? وَمَنْ خَلَقَ كَذَا And who created such and such something else? Shaitan comes and starts whispering these questions to your mind. Who created the mountains? Who created the skies? Who created the sun? Until you keep going back and back and back and back until he comes and says to you, after building his way up to the top, eventually the shaitan whispers to you, and who created Allah then? Where did Allah come from? Who created Allah? Shaitan whispers to you stage by stage, who created these mountains? Who created this? Who created that? And eventually builds his way up until he whispers to you. And who created Allah? Who created Allah? Where did Allah come from? So the Prophet ﷺ said, If those whisperings occur to you, if those types of whisperings occur to you, then do what? فَلْيَسْتَعِذْ بِاللَّهِ Then seek refuge in Allah. 
Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for protection. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for refuge from the whisperings of the shaitan. And no doubt Allah commanded us to do that in the Qur'an itself. Allah commanded us to seek refuge in Allah from the shaitan, to seek refuge and protection and guardianship from Allah, or to ask that in Allah from the shaitan, to ask Allah to give you that protection and guardianship from the shaitan, the accursed. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, Seek refuge in Allah. Say, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ وَلْيَنْتَهِ And stop those thoughts. Put a block onto that line of questioning. Put a block onto those thoughts. Who created this? Who created this? Until you start thinking, Who created Allah? Where did Allah come from? That is whisperings of the shaitan to you. Whisperings of the shaitan that causes a person to fall into atheism and disbelief and kufr. So if that occurs, seek refuge in Allah. Ask Allah to protect you from the whisperings of the shaitan and block that line of thought. In another version of the narration it says, فَلْيَقُلْ آمَنْتُ بِاللَّهِ وَرُسُولِهِ Remind yourself of your iman. When those whisperings come and say, Amantu Billah, I have Iman in Allah, Wabirusulih, and in His Messengers. Remind yourself of your Iman. I have Iman in Allah, and I have Iman in the Messengers, to prevent and to stop this evil whispering of the shaitan affecting you. In another narration it mentions, people will carry on wondering, meaning allowing these whispers to come, so their thoughts to go all around in circles, until eventually, they will start saying in the end, who created Allah then? When that occurs and those thoughts occur to you, then you know that this is from the whisperings of the shaitan. That the shaitan wishes to misguide you. The shaitan wishes to take you away from al-Islam, away from tawheed. And we mentioned before, I think, the narration or the statement of al-Shaykh al-Uthaymeen, rahimahullahu ta'ala, He mentioned that even when a person is dying, you're on your deathbed, shaitan comes to you possibly in the appearance of your parents, your father, and talks to you when you're on your deathbed, says to you, my son, this religion of yours, it's a mistake. This tawheed is a mistake. Take the opportunity now before death and repent from it all. Repent from that Tawheed and Islam and leave it now whilst you have the chance, my son. Because the shaitan comes in the appearance of your father, saying to you, my son, 
Leave this mistake of yours, Islam, it's not right. So the shaitan whispers and the shaitan desires that a person be misguided. And the scholars, they say, the shaitan isn't happy with just misguiding a person. Purely and merely misguiding a person isn't sufficient for the shaitan. Rather, what the shaitan desires is to misguide a person so far, so far into the depths of misguidance, that even if that person turned around to find where the straight path is, he would no longer be able to recognize and see where that straight path is. That is what the shaitan desires. To remove a person from that straight path in a long distance and a long way away from it. Because if the shaitan misguides you with a small misguidance away from that straight path to a small amount, then if a person realizes and turns back, he will be able to find that straight path again and return to the truth. So the shaitan desires for you to be misguided, not a small amount, but a large amount. And that is why the scholars, they always warn against these minor things that you may consider as minor. You consider a particular sin as a small minor sin. You consider a particular error, an act, a mistake which you should not be doing, but you see it as something minor. You think it's something small, it's not a big deal, it's not a major sin. I'm not stealing, killing, drinking alcohol. It's a minor, small sin. But the scholars, they warn from that type of thinking. They warn from that type of mentality. Because the one who treads upon those minor small mistakes as he perceives them, will surely continue upon them until they start becoming bigger. Until they start becoming bigger. And slowly they become bigger and bigger until he lands into major sins. But by the time he lands into those major sins, they are not of consequence to him anymore because he has slowly built himself up to that. Shaitan has misguided him step by step slowly until eventually when he's got into the stage of doing major sins even, he no longer considers them to be any big deal. So the person is to be warned from the sins, the small and the big, from the bid'ah, the small and the big. For indeed the small, it drags you onto that which is big. The small, it drags you onto that which is larger than it. The small sin that you perform and you persist upon, drags you onto the sin that is greater than it. Until a person becomes misguided and he does not care and he does not realize. So seek repentance and return to Allah from those sins. Seek repentance and return to Allah. 
in asking for forgiveness. كُلُّكُمْ تُخْتِئُونَ بِاللَّيْلِ وَالنَّهَارِ Allah said, all of you sin day and night. وَأَنَا أَغْفِرُ الذُّنُوبَ جَمِيعًا But I am the one who forgives all of the sins. فَاسْتَغْفِرُونِي أَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ So seek your forgiveness from me, and I will forgive you. Seeking forgiveness and making tawbah is an act which is desirable, an act which is praiseworthy to seek repentance from your errors and your sins, to ask for forgiveness. And that is why Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala mentioned that when a person commits a sin, you can actually do something which will benefit you thereafter. You could either be a person after committing a sin who falls into even more sin and bad, or you could be a person who turns it around into something good for yourself. How can you turn a sin around into something good for yourself? By returning to Allah and repenting and seeking forgiveness. By doing that, it is an act which is praiseworthy. That you recognize your error, recognize your sin, recognize your shortcoming and you return to Allah, asking for forgiveness, making your tawbah, seeking repentance. And that is one of the uh, good things that a servant learns from his errors. As for the one who does not return back and repent and seek forgiveness, then he has not learnt from his sins at all. He has not learnt anything from his sins and he persists upon them. So in this narration now then, in the explanation, as Shaykh Sa'di rahimahullah mentions, احتوى هذا الحديث على أنه لا بد أن يلقي الشيطان هذا الإيراد الباطل. This type of whispering is something which the shaitan will try with you. Who created this? Who created that? Eventually, who created Allah? Where did Allah come from? To make you start thinking about that. And when you start thinking about that, you go further and further into misguidance and you end up upon kufr and atheism. إِمَّا وَسْوَسَ مَحْضَ أَوْ مَحْصَنَ أَوْ عَلَى لِسَانِ شَيَاطِينِ الْإِنسِ وَمَلَاحَدَتِهِمْ the Shaykh mentions a point here. How might this whispering come to you? It could be thoughts that come to you in your mind. Could be thoughts that come to you in your mind. Shaitan whispers and these thoughts, they come into your mind. Who created Allah? Or it could be that these whisperings come to you via the shayateen of reality. Shayateen of the humans and the jinn. Shayateen of the humans. Those upon misguidance and kufr and atheism. You start listening to them. You start listening to their falsehood. And that then starts playing on your mind. That is whisperings from the shaitan. So you avoid this type of evil. وَقَدْ وَقَعَ كَمَا أَخْبَرْ فَإِنَّ الْأَمْرَيْنِ وَقَعَا لَا يَزَالُ الشَّيْطَانِ يَدْفَعْ إِلَى قُلُوبِ مَنْ لَيْسَتْ لَهُمْ بَصِيرَ هَذَا السُؤَالِ الْبَاطِلِ The shaitan persists and continues targeting, targeting the hearts of those who are weak, those who do not have understanding, 
Those who do not have insight about their religion, don't know about the Qur'an, the hadith, never read the meanings of the Qur'an, the hadith, so their understanding of the revelation from Allah is weak. Shaitan targets those people, knowing that their hearts do not have any defense, knowing that they are easy targets to go upon. So he starts putting these whispers into the minds of those people who are weak in their religion. And that is why the scholars, they say, a person who does not have any defense for himself, that is the one that you fear for. A person who does not have any defense against the shaitan, that is the one who you fear for. Who is the one who does not have any defense against the shaitan? It is the one who is jahil, the one who does not have knowledge. If you do not have knowledge of your religion, you do not have knowledge of the Qur'an, of the sunnah, then you are defenseless when the shaitan comes upon you. When the shaitan attacks, how do you defend yourself when you know nothing of what is in the Qur'an, what Allah has said? How do you defend yourself when you know nothing about the sunnah, what the Prophet ﷺ has commanded you with? You will not be able to defend yourself adequately, sufficiently against the shaitan. So the shaitan will target those people. And that is why you see the people who are upon ignorance of their religion. They are the ones who find it the most difficult to deal with the issues of life. They are the ones who find it most difficult to cope with the events that occur in life. Because they do not have understanding of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. So when any event occurs, any circumstance occurs, the shaitan comes and takes the opportunity, and those people are left in depression, they're left in anxiety, they're left in all types of emotion and feeling, due to not having any defense against the whispers of the shaitan. So the shaitan takes the opportunity with those people, and that is why the defense of the believer, the defense of the Sunni, is to have knowledge, have knowledge of the Qur'an and the Sunnah, knowledge which will increase your iman. Consider a person was to read the Qur'an on a regular basis, and read and understand the meanings of what's in the Qur'an. If you were to ponder Ponder and think about sections of the Qur'an on a daily basis, a page on a daily basis, looking through it, reading it, learning the meanings of it and seeing what they intend, what is meant, looking at the translations if need be, to understand what Allah is saying. That would increase your iman, that would increase your internal strength. Because Allah is talking to you. This is the speech of Allah. The Qur'an is not something Muhammad ﷺ wrote himself. It is not something anybody else in mankind wrote. Those are the words of Allah. So how shameful is it that a person, a Muslim, neglects the words of Allah? A person gives priority to the words of the news 
Reading BBC and other websites gives priority to those words, gives priority to the news and to the updates, priority to all of the notifications, but does not give priority to the greatest of all, the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the revelation for mankind within which there is guidance, no falsehood comes to it from any angle. This is what is required of a believer to have the strength in iman. So when you talk about the difficulties of life, one of the key major factors behind it all is a lack of knowledge. Why people find themselves in anxiety and depression and so much worry and concern and they don't find peace in their hearts. The key behind it is their distance from their religion. And so here in this hadith, it is talking about the whisperings of the shaitan. An individual wants to protect himself from the whisperings of the shaitan, then that protection and that guard and that defense comes in the form of knowledge. Learn and read and understand what your Lord is saying to you in the Qur'an. Read the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Hundreds of hadith, thousands of hadith. And how many of them do you know? How many of the stories from the life of the Prophet ﷺ are you aware of? From the sahaba, from the other prophets and messengers. Those things you read them and you ponder, they increase your iman. And when your iman increases, you find peace in your heart. So then when the difficulties of life, they come along, they do not affect you like they affect the jahil one. The jahil one upon worry, anxiety, concern, his mind racing, he cannot think about anything else. And the one who is a believer with iman and strength of iman, he knows that upon him is to be patient and to return to Allah and ask Allah for ease. إِنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَى Indeed, with difficulty comes ease. وَمَنْ يَتَّقِ اللَّهَ يَجْعَلْ لَهُ مَخْرَجًا Whomsoever fears Allah, Allah will make him an exit. So you have your iman in Allah. You have that knowledge which strengthens your iman. The more knowledge, the stronger your iman. And the more peace in your heart. Knowing that all of this is the decree of Allah, all of this is a test upon you, and the days and the nights they will be gone before you know it. So upon you is to be patient, upon you is to be upon worship, upon tawheed, upon sincerity, knowing that this life of yours is for that purpose. So now, here this hadith talks about the shaitan targeting those people of weakness, those people who have no knowledge, and they don't make any real attempt to gain knowledge, to understand their religion, then these doubts and these desires, they will come from the shaitan. The Prophet ﷺ gave us the cure, and he mentioned when these doubts and these whisperings come to you, you find your heart in weakness, then seek refuge in Allah. 
Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect you from the shaitan. فَلْيَسْتَعِذْ بِاللَّهِ And say, remind yourself, آمَنْتُ بِاللَّهِ I have iman in Allah and iman in the messengers. And the people, if they are upon weakness, they will continue otherwise upon this line of thought until they end up saying, Who created Allah then? To such a level of deception the shaitan will take a person. But those people in particular will be the ones of ignorance. So if you fear for yourself, and you should fear for yourselves, just as Ibrahim alayhi salam feared upon himself, and asked Allah to protect him and his progeny from the worship of the idols, the Salaf they said, if Ibrahim alayhi salam feared for himself, Ibrahim alayhi salam, Khalilullah, the most beloved of Allah, makes the dua in the Qur'an. Rabbi janubani wa baniya na'bud al-asnam. Allah protect me and my family, my offspring from ever worshipping the idols, fearing from shirk. Khalilullah Ibrahim alayhi salam. Then what therefore of the rest of us? What therefore of the rest of us and our state? So we fear upon ourselves our state. We fear that misguidance could come. And that is why you always ask Allah for firmness to be grounded and established as the Prophet ﷺ used to do. Ya muqallib al-qulubi thabbit qalbi ala deenik. Oh Allah, the one who changes the hearts of the people, keep my heart firm upon your religion. Asking Allah to be firm and to remain strong upon the straight path and not to become misguided by the whisperings of the shaitan. In the other narration it says, وَإِنَّ الْعَبْدَ لَيَعْمَلُ بِعَمَلِ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ حَتَّى مَا يَكُونَ بَيْنَهَا وَبَيْنَهُ إِلَّا ذِرَاعٍ فَيَسْبِقُ عَلَيْهِ الْكِتَابِ فَيَعْمَلُ بِعَمَلِ أَهْلِ النَّارِ فَيَدْخُلَا A person may be all of his life does the good and the righteous deeds that are the deeds of the people of paradise. Good deeds, righteous deeds, piety all of his life. Such that it is sufficient unto the likes of those who enter paradise how he is. But then at the end of his life, Something overcomes him in the decree. The whisperings of the shaitan, they overwhelm him to the end of his life, after a life of piety. And perhaps they overcome him, and he goes and does an action, which is an action of the people of the fire. And in the end, due to that, ends up in the hellfire. After a life of piety. You do not feel safe and secure. A person who thinks they are safe and secure, they say, I am Muslim, I am upon Tawheed, I have nothing to fear. Then that person is deceived by himself. Deceived and upon deception. You never think yourself to be safe like that. Ask Allah to keep you firm. Ask Allah to keep you strong. Keep your heart on the upright pathway. And those will be the people of Iman, the people of knowledge. 
How can you consider? Think about a state. وَالْعِيَاذُ بِاللَّهِ If you apostated, when you hear the stories that such and such he used to be with us, such and such used to walk with us, pray with us, and then he apostated. I saw a man once with my own eyes in the haram in Mecca, al-masjid, al-haram, in the haram in Mecca, Muslim praying, from the UK. Later on, some years later, it became known to me that that individual who I had seen sitting in Al-Masjid Al-Haram before the Kaaba worshipping, several years later he apostated. So how would you consider that state? A person sitting in Al-Masjid Al-Haram Worshipping before the Kaaba, soon earlier perhaps perform the Umrah. After all of that, he apostates. This is the whisperings of the Shaitan upon the hearts of the weak. And if you die upon that state, you die upon a state of kufr, of not believing, then your abode is the hellfire forever. The hellfire forever, the one who dies upon shirk. So these affairs are important. And the root of it all is learning your religion. The root of it all is sincerity, knowledge, action. Without this knowledge, without ever listening to the hadith, the statements of the Prophet ﷺ, without ever listening to the ayat of the Qur'an, you will not feel anything in your hearts. Your hearts will be empty and blank. And that is why Ibn al-Qayyim mentioned that statement. That Allah has made knowledge for the hearts like rain for the earth. Knowledge for the hearts like rain for the earth. جَعَلَ اللَّهُ الْعِلْمَ لِلْقُلُوبِ كَالْمَطَرِ لِلْأَرْضِ So just like the earth is dry and barren and dead, Without rain, the rain comes and gives it life. Your hearts are dry and barren and dead until the knowledge comes into them. Until you read and understand the Qur'an, the Sunnah. That is what brings life to your hearts. Moving on after that to the next narration. The hadith, hadith of Abdullah ibn Amr قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم كل شيء بقدر حتى العجز والكيس رواه مسلم In this hadith it talks about the topic of the decree and that is something we briefly touched upon just now. The issue of the decree. We know that the decree of Allah, Allah wrote it 50,000 years before even the creation of this heavens and earth. Before the creation of all of this heavens and earth. 50,000 years before that. Allah wrote the decree of all of that, all of that which is to be. In the narration it mentions, 
in the narration of Abdullah ibn Amr also, كَتَبَ اللَّهُ مَقَادِيرَ الْخَلَائِقِ قَبْلَ أَنْ يَخْلُقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ بِخَمْسِينَ أَلْفَ سَنَةِ وَعَرْشُهُ عَلَى الْمَاءِ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wrote the decree of all of what is to be 50,000 years before the creation of the heavens and the earth. In the other narration it mentions, أَوَّلَ مَا خَلَقَ اللَّهُ الْقَلَمُ قَالَ لَهُ اكْتُبْ قَالَ مَا أَكْتُبْ قَالْ أُكْتُبْ كُلَّ مَا هُوَ كَائِنٌ إِلَى يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ أو كما قال When Allah created the pen, Allah said to the pen, write. The pen said, what shall I write? Allah said, write all of that which is to be until the day of judgment. Write the decree of all of that which is to be until the day of judgment. And that is why when we talk about the decree of Allah, Understanding it, knowing it, it will bring you ease and peace in your hearts. Knowing that everything is decreed by Allah. And that's why as Ahlus Sunnah, there are four main points that you must remember when it comes to the decree of Allah. The first thing is that we acknowledge and we understand, we recognize, we have iman in the fact that Allah's knowledge encompasses everything. Allah's knowledge encompasses everything. There is nothing hidden from Allah. Every movement, every sound, every language, Everything it is known to Allah. Ilmullah al-Muhit bikulishay. The knowledge of Allah which encompasses everything. That is the first point. If somebody says to you, What is your belief in the decree? What is the belief of the Sunni, the Salafi? What is the belief in the decree? Then the first thing is belief in the fact that Allah's knowledge encompasses everything. That means Allah's knowledge encompasses everything in the past. Everything in the past which ever occurred. Allah's knowledge also encompasses everything in the present. Everything which is occurring. Right now. And Allah's knowledge encompasses everything in the future. Which will occur. Past, present, future. All of it is known to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even there is a fourth thing. On top of the past, the present and the future. There is a fourth aspect. And that is, those incidents, those things which never occurred, had they occurred, Allah knows how they would have occurred. 
things which never occurred and they never took place, things which did not occur in history, things which didn't happen, had they happened, Allah knows how they would have happened. So when we talk about Allah's knowledge, everything which happened in the past, Allah knows of it. Everything which is happening in the present tense, Allah knows of it. Everything which will happen in the future, Allah knows of it. And everything which actually never happens, if it happened, Allah knows how it would have happened. And it never even happened. Such is the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the ayah in the Qur'an where it mentions about the waraqah, وَمَا تَسْقُطُ مِنْ وَرَقَةٍ إِلَّا يَعْلَمُهَا There is not a single leaf that falls, except that Allah is aware of it. So when you think about this ayah, you think about what Allah has mentioned here. Not a single leaf falls, except that Allah is aware of it. So now when you think about how many trees there are in Bradford, then you think about how many trees there are in Yorkshire, then you think about how many trees there are in the UK, then you think about how many trees there are in Europe, and then how many trees there are in the world. Those numbers are huge, trillions. But then, you think about how many leaves there are on all of those trees. So then it is billions and trillions and billions, how many leaves there are on all of the trees in the world. All of the forests, the Amazon and other places. Not a single leaf falls of any tree in the world, in the darkness of the middle of the rainforest, except that Allah knows. Al-Imam Al-Qurtubi said, except that Allah knows which leaf has fallen of which tree, how long it fluttered in the air, and where it landed on the ground. Such is the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the first point regarding the decree is the all-encompassing knowledge of Allah. The second point regarding the decree is al-kitabah. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wrote all of the decree in the preserved tablet. Allah Al-Mahfuz Allah Al-Mahfuz The preserved tablet All of the decree is written down in the preserved tablet Allah Al-Mahfuz As it is mentioned in the Quran So that is the second point of your belief All of this decree It is recorded and written in the preserved tablet The third point of your belief in the decree is Mashiatullah. Ma sha Allahu kan wa ma lam yasha lam yakun. 
that everything it only occurs by the will of Allah. Whatever Allah wills, it occurs. And whatever Allah does not will, then it will not occur. Whatever Allah wills, that will occur. And whatever Allah does not will, then it will not occur. And that's why in the narration the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, لَوْ اجْتَمَعَ النَّاسِ عَلَىٰ أَنْ يَنْفَعُوكَ بِشَيْءٍ لَمْ يَنْفَعُوكَ إِلَّا بِشَيْءٍ قَدْ كَتَبَهُ اللَّهُ لَكَ وَلَوْ اجْتَمَعُوا عَلَىٰ أَنْ يَضُرُّوكَ بِشَيْءٍ لَمْ يَضُرُّوكَ إِلَّا بِشَيْءٍ قَدْ كَتَبَهُ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكَ The Prophet ﷺ said, No, that if all of the people, everybody there is, got together, combined all of their efforts to do something good for you, everybody in the world, seven billion people, they come together to do something good for you, they would not be able to. Unless it was something Allah had decreed for you. And if all of the people, seven billion of them came together to attack you, to do something bad to you, they would not be able to unless it was something Allah had decreed upon you. So you have knowledge of this affair. Everything is by the decree of Allah. What Allah wills occurs. And what Allah does not will, it does not occur. And that's why a person when it comes to times of difficulties realizes all of this is by the decree of Allah. So upon you is to be patient knowing that Allah has decreed this. So be patient. And Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah says whenever difficulties arise the first thing you should do not look toward other people Not look towards this person and that person and he wronged me and he did this to me and did that to me. When difficulties arise, the first thing you do is look at yourself. Are you a servant of Allah who is upon obedience? Or are you a servant of Allah who is a sinner? If you are a sinner, one who has great shortcomings, great mistakes and great errors in your practice and in your life, then blame yourself as a starting point for the difficulties you are facing. Do not blame others and the ones who have transgressed against you. Perhaps this transgression has occurred due to your sinning that you have incurred. So look at your own state. And even if it be that you were just, or you were innocent, and they oppressed you, then you know, and you recognize, that it is all from the decree of Allah, and that nobody can harm you, or benefit you, except by what is decreed from Allah. So you do not become, in a state that is emotional. You do not become in a state that is, of anxiety, or worry, or concern, or depression, or anger. You know that this is the decree of Allah and it is a test from Allah. 
Perhaps it is due to your own shortcomings and your sins. And even if it is not, then you know upon you is to be patient. And that patience in those times, it will raise you. Because Allah tests the people. And perhaps you will be tested with difficulties and trials. But when you are patient during those difficulties and trials, then Allah raises you and removes your sins from you for being patient in those times and those tests. And that's why Allah mentioned in the Qur'an, الَّذِي خَلَقَ الْمَوْتَ وَالْحَيَاةَ لِيَبْلُوَكُمْ Allah created death and life in order to test you. لِيَبْلُوَكُمْ So the third point is that all of this decree, it is by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The fourth point, the fourth point of the decree is Allah. That all of this decree and everything you witness in creation, it is the creation of Allah. Everything that is in existence and comes to exist, then it is by the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not by your creation, my creation. This is all the creation of Allah. Those are the four pillars, the four principles when it comes to the decree. And there are great benefits, great fruits, in knowing about this decree. In this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, كُلُّ شَيْءٍ Everything is upon the decree. And that's why this issue of the decree, it is mentioned in the books of Aqeedah. All of the books of Aqeedah you read, you will find the section about the decree. Ibn Abi Dawood mentioned in his poem, Ha'iya, وَبِالْقَدَرِ الْمَقْدُورِ أَيْقِنْ فَإِنَّهُ دِعَامَةُ عِقْدِ الدِّينِ وَالدِّينُ أَفْيَحُ Have the certainty, وَبِالْقَدَرِ الْمَقْدُورِ أَيْقِنْ Certainty in that decree. Have certainty in that decree. Because that decree, it is the decree of Allah. So when a person recognizes that, and recognizes here the Prophet ﷺ saying, everything is by the decree, even laziness and energy, laziness and a state of being energetic, all of these, everything, all of what occurs is by the decree. So when a person knows that, it brings peace to your heart, it brings ease to your heart, Knowing that this is all the decree of Allah, what has happened. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ said that if something happens to you, لا تقول لو أني فعلت كذا وكذا لكان كذا وكذا. Don't say if only I did this and I did that, then it would have turned out like this and turned out like that. The Prophet ﷺ forbade us from thinking like that. He said, don't say ever, if only I did this, then it would have turned out like that. Don't do that. Because, he said, ﷺ, فَإِنَّ لَوْ تَفْتَحُ عَمَلَ الشَّيْطَانِ 
Because saying, if only this and if only that, opens the door to the shaitan upon you. Opens the door to the shaitan when he sees you like that, if only this, if only that. He comes and inserts another thousand if onlys into your mind. If only this and maybe if only that and if only I said this and if only I went there. And you spend your life in depression and anxiety thinking if only and if only. And there is no such thing as if only. All of it has gone and passed. What is upon you now is to strive in what you can do. Not if only, if only. That's why the Prophet ﷺ went on to say, لا تعجز استعن بالله ولا تعجز Seek aid and assistance from Allah and do not become feeble. Don't become feeble and weak. Ask Allah for aid and assistance. Ask Allah to help you, to give you strength in your circumstance, in your situation. And this is where we talk about knowledge. When you see the circumstances and the situations of the prophets and the messengers and the salaf and what they had to face. You look at the poverty of what they used to be in. Some of them only ever used to own one garment, one thobe. That's all they had. No such thing as ten in the wardrobe and the night ones and the day ones and this event and that event. One garment. That is all they used to possess. Yet was there any such narration or any such thought from them about their poverty? They couldn't care less. The poverty didn't bother them. The poverty didn't have any effect upon them. They were patient upon their poverty and they worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they used to go, some of them, the ones in poverty, as it's mentioned in the hadith, they went to the Prophet ﷺ, the poor ones. They said, ذَهَبَ أَهْلُ الدُّهُورِ بِالْأُجُورِ They said, oh messenger, the rich people have taken all of the reward. They pray and they fast, just like we can pray and fast. But then they give so much charity from all the money they have and we can't do that. So they weren't bothered about poverty because of poverty. They weren't bothered about poverty because of poverty. They were bothered about it because they were saying we can't give any money in charity. They were saying maybe we need to be doing that. We're losing out on the reward. So they went to the Prophet ﷺ, what can we do? We have no money. We can't give in charity. Wasn't about we don't have any money. We're poor. We need a bigger house. We need this. We need that. None of that was any concern. They were only concerned with that issue of the money for the purpose purely of worship. If we had money, we could give charity. Now it's the opposite. If we had money, we could buy the car, we could buy the house, we could do this, we could do that. For them, these possessions of the world and the luxuries were nothing. They went to ask the Prophet ﷺ about their poverty, not because of their poverty. They went to ask saying, what do we do? How do we give charity to get reward as well like the rich ones? So then the Prophet ﷺ explained to them all the different ways of giving charity and getting reward, even if you don't have wealth. So a person when he realizes this point regarding the decree, it will certainly bring to you peace and contentment, tranquility and serenity to your heart. 50,000 years before the creation of the heavens and the earth, your decree and everything was written down. When you are born, the angel comes and writes down your rizq for your lifetime. 
writes down and you will die, writes down your actions, writes down your decree. So now what occurs, what comes to pass, then there is no purpose in you wasting your lives upon anxiety and depression and if only and if only. That is the behavior of the feeble and the weak. The ones who have no knowledge of their religion and their iman is low. So if you want to drag yourselves out of that, out of that type of mentality, then upon you is to seek knowledge. Upon you is to seek knowledge of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Learn about the decree and learn about the affairs of iman. And that will strengthen you further. Strengthen you, your families, your children. You will see the impact the impact the religion has upon that man, upon that wife, upon those children, as opposed to the one living his life upon ignorance. So that is this particular narration talking briefly about the decree. That's where we'll round off today. The next narration, hadith number 10, will begin with from the next session in a fortnight, inshallah. And that narration is talking about the sunnah. The one who encourages the people to practice the sunnah and the reward you get for it. And on the opposite side, the person who encourages bid'ah and spreads bid'ah, the evil they will get for it. So talking a bit about the sunnah and talking about innovation. And then after that, the narration actually talks about this issue of iman. And it talks about the hadith where Allah says, the, the Prophet says, the strong believer is better and more beloved to Allah than the weak believer. The believer with stronger iman is better and more beloved to Allah than the weak believer in his iman. So that is an encouragement to everybody to be upon strength in iman. So those are the topics we'll carry on with in a fortnight, inshallah ta'ala. And we'll round off there for tonight unless there's any questions we're able to take. In that case, we'll round off there tonight. Oh. So there's a narration about what we said 50,000 years before the creation, the decree was written. But then you have certain narrations that indicate maybe a confusion to the person who reads them initially. Like the narration about Laylatul Qadr. What happens on Laylatul Qadr? The decree for the, for the year is recorded. What happens when a child is born or before he's born in the womb of his mother, the angel is sent and writes down the decree of that child. So there you seem to have an annual decree you seem to have a lifetime decree per person. You also have a daily decree. It mentions in the Quran, every day Allah is upon an affair, meaning in the decree, a daily decree. 
What do we say about these subsections of the decree? The daily decree, the lifetime decree, the annual decree. All of these are exactly that. They are subsections of that decree. So the 50, the decree that was written 50,000 years before creation, the decree that is written on Laylatul Qadr for that year isn't something new. It is just a subsection for that year from the overall decree. What is written for you as your lifetime is your subsection from the overall decree. It is not something new and different written for you now that wasn't in that initial decree. So the easiest way to understand it is that these are subsections now written upon those timings. Laylatul Qadr, when you're in the womb, and they are sections that are in that overall decree written 50,000 years ago before creation. It's not something new which is written now and added into it. So you could just think of them as subsections being written at particular times, but they are from the overall decree. The dua changes the decree. Again, it's the same type of meaning. Hadith mentions nothing can change the decree except dua. When you do something, is it known to Allah before you do it that you're going to do it? Of course, of course. Knowledge, the first principle. So when you make dua, before you make dua, is it known to Allah you're going to make that dua that night, that day? Of course. The fact that you make dua is a cause for your dua to be answered. Allah already knew on that day, on that night, you were going to make this dua and it was going to be answered for you. Had you not made the dua, then you would have missed out on that cause for the dua to be answered. You never made it and you wouldn't have got that thing. Thinking about it like that simplistically. So Allah knew you were going to make this dua and therefore knew the outcome you were going to get from that dua. Hence the meaning of the hadith, nothing changes the decree except dua. It is an encouragement for you to make dua. Allah knows you make dua, you will gain the rewards of making the dua. You don't make dua, you abandon Allah, you abandon the religion, where will you be? But you make dua, then goodness will come to you. Ask Allah for goodness and goodness will come to you. But Allah already knew you were going to make that dua and the goodness would come to you. But for you, you got to take the means so take the means of making dua and asking Allah for goodness. So it doesn't mean it changes the decree, meaning something new happens now. Of course, it was already known to Allah you would make dua on this day, that day. But it changes the decree in terms of your perspective, you could think of it. That if you didn't make the dua, you would be left upon your misguidance, ignorance. But make dua, return to Allah, and that brings goodness for you. That changes your path in life to goodness. But of course, Allah already knows that in advance. Which question? No, if the person is a Muslim, then you answer him with exactly everything we've talked about in the lesson today. If he's a Muslim, and he comes out with that level of confusion, then you know that the shaitan is whispering to him. He comes out and he says, I'm genuinely been thinking about these things and I don't understand. Who created Allah? Then you bring him back to everything we talked about. You remind him of his religion. You remind him of... Uh, 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 the Islam and the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, his Iman in Allah. Remind him of these things and tell him to do the same. 
seek refuge. This is whispering some of the shaitan giving you these thoughts. Explain to him all the issues and explain to him about the hellfire, the one who dies upon kufr. The same as what we mentioned. A Muslim comes to you with that type of whispering, then you know he's ended up in this whispering, in this narration as it mentions. So give him all of that same type of detail. Non-Muslim then it's different. Non-Muslim comes and says, like atheist comes to you and says, what's the proof Allah exists? Or who created Allah? How do we know Allah exists? Who created Him? Then it's a different issue. Talking to an atheist and a person who doesn't believe, then you give him the proofs and explanations. And there are books from the scholars. They talk about the proofs of Rububiyyah. Some of the easy examples which are, I mean, that question there when they say, who created Allah? then in essence, that is a question which refutes their own belief. Because then if they say there is no God, then their own logic breaks down. If there is no God, their own logic breaks down from their own question. You say to them, okay, there's no God upon your belief as atheism, so who created the heavens and the earth, and who created the mountains, who created all of this? They say that was created because of, uh, they go back and back and back and back stages, until eventually they say there was molecules in the water and there was bacteria in the water, eventually all life came from it. So then you say, where did those molecules and bacteria come from? They say, then there was some frozen water under the surface millions of years ago in the earth, whatever. You say, okay, where did that come from? Then, oh, but it was there from the asteroid which hit. And where did that one come from? So eventually at the end, something, when they get to the final point, where did it come from? There is no answer except that there is a creator. So if they're, they're coming to you saying, what's the proof Allah exists? You say to them, your very logic doesn't work upon asking that question. Your very logic, you go back and back and back something, you're going to eventually have to say, that is an unknown to us now. I just don't know and I don't care. You're eventually going to get to a stage where you cannot answer where it came from. Because eventually it has to get to a stage where it is Allah, the creator who created it. You have no other answer. You can't keep going back forever. You keep going back and back and back and molecules of water and this and that. And there was water from an asteroid and big bang and molecules came together. But eventually all of that way back, where did those first molecules come from then? They came from some other atoms and this and that. Where did they come from then? You keep going back, you have to start with something. They can't tell you that stage appeared from nowhere. That's impossible. Nobody can say that. They can't say that. Nobody can say that. So their logic is broken anyway. But then the scholars, they explain... You explain to them about the Rububiyyah, you explain to them about this world and the, the logic, how it doesn't work. Uh, recently I saw something, uh, a picture, and they showed a picture of a uh, um, of an engine, a car engine. A car engine with all of the pistons and the turbines and the, the whatever else in the car engine. They said, look at this, you say to an atheist, that this car engine in my car, it just appeared. I bought the car without an engine, woke up one morning, the engine was there. He'll say to you, ridiculous, talking nonsense. Of course it wasn't just there. A mechanic built this engine, look you can see it's a German one, it's got the numbers on it. It's, it's all been done and made by people, it was made in this factory, that factory. I'll check the references, I'll tell you everything about the engine. That's what the atheist will tell you. He won't believe you, he won't accept from you that the engine just appeared. Then next to it, an engine is a complicated machine. Next to it, there's a picture of the human heart. The human heart, as far as the atheist is concerned, did just eventually through evolution and whatever else appear. They won't accept that an engine can appear 
by itself through whatever process, but a human heart which is a million times more complex than a car engine, that they do believe just appeared. And it's like that famous story of uh, one of the scholars of the past when they say he was going to have uh, a debate with some atheists. And he was late for the debate. When he got there, they said to him, why are you late? He said, I was out on a boat on the sea. Big storm came and my boat was sunk. So I was struggling out on sea trying to get back to shore. Big storm was going on. But then he says, luckily for me, alhamdulillah, the storm crashed all of the trees on shore. It was maybe a couple of miles of shore. All the trees, the branches, the storm knocked them and crashed them everywhere. Branches were falling everywhere, uh, twigs and branches and all sorts. And they all flew around in the storm and the wind and banging around. And they, a few of them banged together into each other into the shape of a boat. A few branches banged together, banged together, a few twigs and they made a shape of a boat. And it landed in the storm next to me. So I got into that eventually and I managed to get back to land. That's why I'm a bit late now. They said to him, are you trying to mock us? You're trying to mock us? Kind of a ridiculous story is that about what you're late. You want us to believe that the storm knocked off branches off the trees and they banged into each other just perfect without any holes. And so the boat floated. They just hit each other randomly without any gaps perfectly into the shape of a boat. Ridiculous. What are you talking about? A boat needs skill. It's meant to come together and nail it and bend it and make sure there's no holes. Don't expect us to believe some rubbish story. The storm came and made a boat out of the twigs randomly in the storm. So then he said to them, You cannot believe that a small boat can be made by itself by wind blowing around the, the branches. You don't believe that. Yet when you look around all of this world, the complexities and the intricacies of this world, the rivers and the mountains and the moon and the sun and how it all works in perfection, all of that you do want to believe can just happen. All of that you want me to believe can just happen. But my story of the wind blowing around, which is maybe one in a billion possible, you don't believe that. You won't accept that a boat can be knocked together by the wind, blowing together branches and twigs getting stuck everywhere, and they stick together just right without holes as a boat. A boat can't make itself, but you want me to believe all of this universe made itself? So then you refuted them in that way. So there's a different way to talk to them. That's different about difference of opinion amongst the scholars regarding what was created first. Is it the pen or is it the throne? The throne of Allah, which is the biggest thing in all of creation. Bigger than the heavens and the earth and the universe and everything. The throne of Allah, the biggest thing in creation. It is the ceiling of all of this creation. And there is the pen. Which one was created first? Was it the pen? Was it the throne? It's a big difference of opinion. You look into the books of Aqidah, the scholars give their opinions. Many of them seem to lean to the idea that it was the throne first. And as for the narration about the pen, then they make it mansub. That like that in Arabic doesn't mean that Allah created the pen first. It means initially when Allah created the pen at first, Allah said to it. Meaning whenever that point occurred, 
whenever the pen was created, then at first, that's what Allah told it to do. Not to be understood as at first, in terms of first, before everything Allah created the pen. Rather, whenever it was created, then at first, the first thing Allah said to it was write these things. But it's a difference of opinion. That's a difference of opinion you find in the books of Aqidah. Not going to more detail on these topics about the throne and the pen and which was created first. <clears throat> so we we'll leave it there for tonight then, inshallah ta'ala, in two weeks' time. We'll continue.